asked me to expound on everything that the Bible has to say about finances in 10 minutes. So, not really, but uh, we are going to share on finances this morning. Um, I guess Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. If you're one of those people who like formulas, here's one for you. Want to live an unfulfilled and miserable life? Chase after money. Let your attentions fall to money and material wealth. It's not like Solomon wasn't speaking from experience here. Gifted with extraordinary wisdom from God, he became the richest man on earth. The Bible is filled with warnings, not about money, but our attitude towards money. An often quoted scripture relative to money is 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. People often misquote this scripture by saying that money is a root of all evil. No, just the love of it. I want you to pay attention to the, root, to the word root. I'll read verse 10 again. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Um, a couple of years ago, I was going through my yard and I noticed these uh, little thistle, thistle plants. They're kind of velvety leafed, but they're full of prickers. And the yard was full of them. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to dig these up. So I got out my garden spade and I went around and filled up two five-gallon buckets of these little pricker bushes. And two months later, they were all back. And actually, there were more of them than when I started. Well, okay, so... I tried it again, dug them up, and now they're all over the place. And so this spring I decided, okay, we're going to try something different. So I mixed up Roundup 2,4-D Dawn dish soap in a fairly concentrated solution, and I sprayed those thistle weeds. Well, it definitely did the trick. Uh, Roundup is designed to enter the leaf and go to the root, and that's what it did. It killed the root. Uh, unfortunately, it also killed about a basketball-sized swath of my grass as well. The point of the matter here is, if we, want to get rid of, if we want to get rid of the weeds in our life, we have to go to the root. We have to, we have to deal with the root. Love of money is a pretty serious thing. It's, if you just look at the fruit that it bears uh, from this verse, it says that it brings temptations, traps, foolish and harmful desires, Ruin, destruction, loss of faith, pierced with griefs. Now, the interesting thing is, is verse 9 here states that these were not the intended outcomes. I don't think everybody ever says, well, I want to go to prison for embezzlement, or I want to lose my family because of neglect. Um, I, don't want, I want to go bankrupt because I, I don't know how to control my spending. Verse 9 says that they fall into these things. It's not intended. I grew up in a Christian home and my parents were faithful uh, to tithe and they taught us children 
to tithe as well. I would get 50 cents a week for an allowance, and my mom would show me how to tithe on it. In the 80s, I got caught up in the prosperity movement. I had a desire to get rich, and the message of that teaching uh, was music to my ears. We owned a business at the time, and we were giving so much that I bounced a check to the IRS for our payroll taxes. I don't recommend that. It's not a good idea. Even though we were uh, giving lots to uh, churches and ministries, we weren't seeing the fruit of it. We were doing the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. One day I read Romans 11.35, which asks the question, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? All the formulas that I'd been using to obligate God to bless me and prosper me financially were based on faulty reasoning. God doesn't owe me anything, nor will he ever. I noticed that people in my parents' generation like to play a little game. If somebody invites you over for dinner, it is expected but never verbalized that you're going to invite them back for dinner. Um, Back and forth, this would go, my mother has the gift of hospitality, and she always made sure that she never owed anyone a dinner invitation. We can never put God into a situation where he owes us or is obligated to do anything. This applies to much more than just money. Many people have a sense that God owes them because they are in church every time the door is open or because they lived a holy life or they've made certain sacrifices for others or because they give 10%. Unfortunately, many more of us are prone to this way of thinking than we realize. This subtle attitude is much easier to detect on the backside. When we blow it or we give in to temptation, it shows up as, well, I can't expect God to answer my prayers now. Or, why would God heal me now after what I've done? Or, we'll avoid spending time with him altogether. When we find ourselves thinking this way, it shows that we are attempting to earn God's favor and blessing instead of walking in our identity as his sons and daughters and the finished work of Christ. So what is the proper attitude towards money and material possessions? Jesus had this to say in his Sermon on the Mount, starting with Matthew 6.19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I was reading this, and I was trying to figure out, what does the eye and cataracts have to do with with the subject of this passage, money? And so I simply asked the Lord what verses 22 and 23 meant. And a few days later, I was sitting in a class, and the Holy Spirit uh, gave me a revelation that the I that's spoken of in this passage is referring to a person's attitude towards money or material possessions. Verse 22 says that our attitudes towards money is the lamp of the body. It's like a lens or a filter that affects how we view God and ourselves and others and life itself. Notice that our attitude towards finance impacts every area of our life. 
It says that our whole body will be either full of light or darkness. It'll impact us spiritually, it'll impact our relationships, and it'll even impact our health. A few minutes later, in verse 33, Jesus cuts to the chase and he gives us the bottom line. Matthew 6:33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Bottom line is it comes back to the heart. Are we chasing after God and his kingdom, or are we consumed with stuff? Is our heart truly drawn to loving others, or are we focused on our own needs and desires? For announcements today, um, the Dudleys are preparing a meal for us afterwards, and they would appreciate some help cleaning up afterwards. Please join us. Uh, join Pastor Steve and Joyce as they share uh, a teaching of God's Word on Wednesday at 10 a.m., uh, live streaming on Facebook. Uh, Wednesday night, 6 p.m., the TCC youth group will be meeting. Uh, Wednesday at 6.30, uh, here at church, the Kairos Gathering will be uh, meeting, led by Tim and Kathy Pomp. And for giving of your tithes and offerings, they can be mailed to uh, 10 Strike Community Church, P.O. Box 67, 10 Strike, Minnesota, 56683. Or you can give online um, at our TCC website. Uh, or there are boxes located in the back that you can give as well as you leave. So, thank you. So next... Uh, <clears throat> Sunday, Pastor Steve and Joyce will be with us again. And so it's been three months of, uh, that they've been gone. And it's been interesting. I've been able to connect more with a lot of, a lot of you. And I just see your growth and the excellence of service that you provide for the Lord. So I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank those that spoke during this time. And just the amount of study and preparation that went into the messages, and they were very good and a blessing. <clears throat> so thank you very much. Hallelujah. So today, Phyllis is going to help me again read some scriptures. and We're going to talk about wait for the Lord, not wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And let's open our heart to the Word of God today. Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait. All the day. Amen. Uh, last Saturday, I was praying, and uh, I just had kind of a visitation from the Spirit of God, and I could feel my heart rising up a bit, but then I also sensed that there was a bubble, and in that bubble were the confines of my life, and all the different issues of my life. And I just came up out of my heart 
Unto you, O Lord, I just lifted them all up, and unto you, O Lord, unto you, O Lord, be just not the internal things of my life, but everything of my sphere. So let's just say that this morning, unto you, O Lord. Wow. And that's kind of a foundation for what I want to talk about. John Lake, when he first went into uh, South Africa, he was, before he started his own work, he was invited to preach at a native church. He said there were 500 Zulus in this uh, congregation, and he was preaching on repentance, and 100-fold, 100% commitment to God. And he said there was like a, a spirit that took hold of all the people and everybody was in total silence before the Lord and there was a reverential awe and a pulling toward God. And they, they felt like there was not, that they should not give an altar call right at that time. So they waited. They, they felt the spirit of the Lord was doing something else and they came back on in the evening and they began the service and after a while a smaller man walked up and he got up towards the front and he fell flat on his face and then pretty soon another one came forward and he fell on top of the first one and 15 people 15 men came forward and they were all falling on top of each other and it was a hot day, a hot night, and John Lake said that the fellow on the bottom, his face was being pushed into the floor, so he got up and tried to pull some people off of him, but he couldn't. And the Holy Spirit said, if I started this, let me finish it. <laughs> and so he did, and after a while, one after the other, came back into the natural realm and they just began to confess their sins at the top of their voice in such a heartfelt passion. And after the service, the first fellow that had fallen down came and said, Brother Lake, Jesus came and washed all my sins away. He make my heart clean is what he said. And he, Lake wrote about that and that experience. And I'll have Phyllis read that. I feel out of life's experience as a Holy Ghost preacher that great damage is done by not waiting for a real ripeness of the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of the audience. So frequently, an invitation is given and pressure is put on the audience to bring souls to the altar before 
God's ripeness of conviction unto repentance is complete. Amen. <clears throat> and so I want to talk a little bit about faith today, but a little different kind of an angle on faith. I think we've been trained in applying faith to the promises of God, to embrace them, to confess the reality, the truth of God's word and what he said, to believe it, to put our lives on the line, trusting it. But today I want to look at wait for the Lord, and we do this by faith because we trust in his goodness, we trust in his power, we trust in his wisdom. And so we lay aside our own agenda and we wait for him. And I've proved this out through the years in ministering to people where people would come up for prayer and I would see the glory of the Lord hanging over them and rather than rushing in and just praying for them, wait to see what God had in mind. And many times he would just come in a sovereign move and bring a blessing. Amen. Wait for the Lord. So fill us again, Mark 4, 26. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Amen. And so this is the, you know, the spiritual uh, actions of the kingdom of God. And isn't it great that the, that the kingdom of God, the word of God, the love of God just grows and we don't know how. It just grows as we pay attention to him, as we give him an opportunity to cause those things to come to maturity. God causes the growth. And when I was reading this, the, the word that struck out to me was immediately. But when the crop permits, when the crop comes to maturity, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That is not something that can be done in our natural energy or our natural mind. This is done in the spirit. As we're walking with God, you know, as we're loving him, things will grow up within us and all of a sudden there'll be an impulse from heaven and it causes us to move. It causes us to act. Jesus grew up as a tender sheet, uh, shoot before the Lord. And 
well, all those years of loving God, of, of being meditating in his word. And then the time came for him to be baptized. And immediately when he was baptized, the spirit came down upon him and he was immersed in the Holy Spirit with power for his earthly ministry. But I like what it says. It says, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Immediately. And so his life had been so in tune with the father. He was so engrossed in the kingdom that now at this point, when the spirit moved, he was, it drove him with intensity out into the wilderness to find confrontation and to overcome and lay the foundation for the rest of his earthly ministry. We think of Ananias when Jesus was born and he was in the temple, you know, courts, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah to come. And as he was walking it out before God, all of a sudden, he was moved in to the place where Jesus was being dedicated. Anna, the same way, she had been there fasting and praying for all those years. And yet, at the right time, the impulse of the Spirit moved her to be in the place of encounter. Hallelujah. This can work in our own private life. Also, corporately, we can come to the place where we're, you know, we're pressing into God, loving him. And all of a sudden, when the spirit moves, we can all begin to lift our voices with one accord without anybody leading us. We can just all be in the spirit at once. And it can, you know, in the book of Acts, the place was shaken where they were gathered. And so we need patience to wait for the things of the Spirit to develop. You know, there needs to be the, the stalk and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. And God is the one who knows when it's ready. And he will put that within our hearts and whatever the action is, there can be many different actions. It can be we proclaim, we declare, we, we step out and serve somebody. We give. And so I just want to look at a few things today about as we're waiting for the Lord, for the Lord's timing, we're waiting for that, the situation to uh, become ripe. There are some things that we can have in our heart that will keep us in step with him. So let's just look at a few of these attitudes here this morning. Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wow, as we're waiting, 
You know, these things happen in God's timetable. Sometimes, like when I'm praying for people, it happens in a few minutes, a few moments. You know, things develop. But it can be over days, weeks, months, even years. And this is what David said about his heart. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right here, right now, in my life on this earth, Mm -hmm. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I believe that he exists and he, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is what captivates our heart. This keeps us in that expectancy before him as I'm waiting for him to move and bring his sovereign grace. You know, a lot of times these things seem to be just totally sovereign when God moves, but yet I believe there are people that are praying. We're hooked up with the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit has people praying for our situation. Amen. Then verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I love that that terminology. Let your heart take courage. Mm -hmm. It's like God is right there within us. He's there, you know, to bore to bear us up, to hold us up, to strengthen us. We let our heart take courage. We allow the Holy Spirit to override all the negativity that may be coming at us. We let our heart take courage. He's right there to make us very courageous and strong. Hosea 6.3, let's read that. So let us know Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Amen. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come. So let us press on to know the Lord. He will come. He will do it. He will show up in our life, in our circumstances. He's with us always in our spirit, but he will show up in our circumstances. He is faithful. He is faithful. Wait for him. And many times we don't know all the things that he's doing in the surrounding sphere of our life, the people that he's affecting. And so that when he moves, where we can see it, it can bring a lot of people into a higher place of encounter with him. And so we stand in this kind of expectancy. We believe he will reward us in this life not only in eternity. We walk in obedience to God's ways as we wait. We are committed to keep our whole life 
in line with kingdom principles, and God will exalt us to inherit the land. Psalm 37:34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. He will exalt you to inherit the land. Let's just say that together. He will exalt you to inherit the land. Wait for him. You know, too often we rush in trying to you know, make things happen and use our faith. Well, sometimes we just need to be still and wait. And it's interesting, you know, that the Holy Spirit knows what principles to apply for every situation. Amen. God is committed to show up in our circumstances. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The strength of my heart is beyond my natural ability. It's beyond what I can think or see or feel. The strength of the Lord is always within us. He's always there, causing us to rise up. We deeply desire that our example be an encouragement to the body. You know, we go through difficult things sometimes and our prayers, Lord, let not this situation be a discouragement to others, but somehow, Lord, as I am standing and believing and trusting, let it be an encouragement. In Psalm 69, in verse 6, David expressed some of that feeling. Lord, Yahweh of angel armies, keep me from ever being a stumbling block to others, to those who love you. Lord God of Israel, don't let what happens to me be the source of confusion to those who are passionate for you. Amen. And we can't just change our circumstances, but we can pray, Lord, let me, as I'm living through this, let my life radiate those things that will build others up and cause courage and faith to rise up. I'm going to read Philippians 1.14. And this is what Paul wrote when he was in prison and what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become more courageous in the Lord 
and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God all because of my chains. And so whatever it is that we're facing as we go through life, things that are difficult, Lord, let there be a testimony of your goodness and love and sustaining power even as I'm waiting for your deliverance to manifest. Amen. Amen. Psalm 130 in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. And so as I'm standing and I'm waiting for God, and I know I need to wait for his moving, you know, the, Peter said that we are called to resist the devil, standing firm in the face, faith. And after we have suffered a little while, God himself will come and establish us and make us who he wants us to be. And he's going to lift us out from under the attack of the enemy and we'll come up to a higher place than we were before. But we stand resisting the enemy. We trust the Lord and we resist the enemy. And at the right time, God is going to visit us as we stand and wait with a proper attitude. And one of the things we do is stay in the word. As we read the word, as we meditate, we're fellowshipping with him around the written word. It causes hope and faith to spring up to life within us. It sustains us as we stand before the Lord. The hope that he brings us is so marvelous and powerful. The faith that comes up within us can stand against all the fiery darts of the enemy. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word I do hope. Hallelujah. So let's look at, look at an example here of Elijah this morning. So let's just read one verse at a time here. 1 Kings 18, 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Well, this is after three and a half years of drought, and Elijah had said, it's not going to rain until I tell it to rain. Which was a pretty bold statement. But God had Elijah hooked up with his move in the nation. <clears throat> and this is right after they had the encounter, you know, with the fire coming from heaven and burning up the altars and licking up all the water. And now Elijah says to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for I hear the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. I hear the sound of a roar. And so 
he's, he begins to hear the answer coming to the drought. I hear the sound in the spirit. There are still sounds in the spirit. And what, what does Elijah do? He doesn't just start getting in there and confessing it and whatever. He bows down with his head between his knees, his face between his knees, and he begins to pray. He crutched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. When we hear things in the spirit, we need to surrender to it, add our heart to it, pray into it. God is getting ready to move. We can put ourselves in union with him, in line with him. And immediately when, when he had this happen, all of a sudden he had the impulse within him. And let's read verse 43. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. So he tells the servant, go and look. And the servant has a good report. There's nothing. <laughs> but he says, make the trip seven times. I don't know how far it was where he went to look. But he said, go back seven times. It was that real within. The sound was that real. He knew it was coming. And he was allowing the work of God to develop. First the, first the stock, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. We need to be patient before the Lord. Work with him. Not try to force his hand. We work with him. And he does great things. Verse 14, or 44, excuse me. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So he immediately put in the sickle to get the harvest. Saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. That's it. Go and, and, and the way it was released, go tell Ahab, make a run for it. We, we cooperate with the things of the Spirit. We cooperate. We're sensitive to what we're hearing, what we're seeing in our inner man. He heard the sound of rain. Then he prayed into it, not just waiting for it to happen. He prayed into it. He put himself in union with the heart of God. 
And when he saw the first sign of it manifesting over the land, he, went, he had his servant go and tell the king, this is it. Wow, there was something released in that word. He put in the sickle to reap the harvest. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So we, we just had the Olympic Games. I wonder how he would have done. He ran ahead of the horse. So he would have been a sprinter and a long distance <laughs> runner both. <laughs> but isn't that amazing? God wants to use us. He wants us to cooperate with him. He desires for us to learn his ways. We can do this individually. It's so exciting. And it's so exciting to cooperate and connect with him and allow him to move, to surrender to him, just to love him, to trust him. You know, sometimes we're, we're, we, we, we get premature in some of our declaration and prayers because we don't really trust the Lord. We can trust him completely, totally. I can take a step over on his side. Amen. Paul, they was preaching and they came up to the region of Asia and the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go in. They had that sense that, that uh, there was a wall there. They could feel it in their spirit. And so they stopped where they were and they just waited. And in the night, Paul had a vision or a dream and he heard, heard a man in Macedonia saying, come over and preach to us. And so he stopped, they stopped and they, they waited. And then as they were waiting on the Lord, the time was right and God gave a dream and the man said, come and preach to us. When they got there, it was a woman that they met, and she opened her home. And so when God gives us a vision, we can't put too much on the detail. We want to catch the meaning, but not marry the detail. And somebody said, amen. Wait on the Lord. He is faithful. Wait on the Lord. Be faithful to him. Wait on the Lord. Embrace him. Love him. Meditate on his word. Wait on the Lord. And as we do that, we'll find our lives are in union with the impulse of the Spirit. And we will begin to move and act many times before our head even knows about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is faithful. He loves you. And once again, I just want to say thank you for just being cooperative and helping this summer. It's meant a lot. The Lord bless you for that. Let's pray. Father God, 
We look to you. We look to you, Father. Our faces are radiant because you have proven yourself to be so faithful. We thank, I thank you, Lord, for stretching out your hand, bringing supernatural visitation to homes and lives, and that we will find ourselves moving in your lines as your impulse strikes our heart. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you, and let's enjoy a meal together. Amen. If you need prayer, I'll be glad to pray with you. (laughs) 